I'm here today with Drew Hart. Drew is a public theologian and professor of theology at Messiah University. He has 10 years of pastoral ministry experience as the recipient of multiple awards for peacemaking. Drew attained his MDiv with an urban concentration from Missio Seminary and his PhD in theology and ethics from Lutheran Theological Seminary in Philadelphia. His most recent book is Who Will Be a Witness? Igniting Activism for God's Justice, Love, and Deliverance, which was published by Herald Press. Otis Moss III says that this brilliant public intellectual preacher and cultural critic is uniquely gifted to cross denominational, racial, political, and class lines to offer a vision of hope and healing our nation is yearning to hear. Drew's first book, Trouble I've Seen, Changing the Way the Church Views Racism, utilizes personal and everyday stories, theological ethics, and anti-racism frameworks to transform the church's understanding and witness. Drew lives with his wife, Renee, and their three sons in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. So, Drew, it's really wonderful to uh, have you here with us today. Oh, thanks, Brian. I'm, I'm excited for our conversation together. Yeah, same here. Same here. So, um, I gave a little bit about your background. Maybe you could expand on that a little bit? Yeah. Um, let's see. Where to begin? You know, I'm the son of Tony and Carol Hart, uh, Born and raised in Norristown, which is a part of the Philadelphia, kind of greater Philadelphia, its own. If you're from Norristown, then you would distinguish and say you're your own thing. Um, it's, uh, I don't, some people call it big town or a small city, depending on how you want to frame it. Um, but a majority black, Latino, and also white um, community, socioeconomically diverse in terms of who all moves in that broader little world. I would grow up in the church. Um, black church and more on the non-denominational black baptist side of the black church spectrum was kind of my upbringing um i ended up attending messiah at that time college and i was a biblical studies major there and introduced to things like anabaptism for the very first time in that space um and after that became a youth pastor at Harrisburg Brethren in Christ Church, which was an urban multiracial church in the, in the, in the city. Um, also was doing like after school program work and other things like that there in the city. And for the first time was really began engaging congregations around topics around race and racism um, was during that time from 05 to 08. Um, Ended up moving back to Philly, uh, moved uh, to West Oak Lane, East Germantown area. All my On my dad's side, all my family's from Philly in and around, and a lot of on my mom's side is that way as well. But um, so came back and was at Missio Seminary with an urban, MDiv with an urban concentration, was deeply committed to the city. At that time was thinking I was just going to remain in, during, in uh, pastoral ministry. Um, and... During that time, I had professors kind of sow a seed <laughs> that um, I should consider PhD work, which I had not even fathomed. It, it didn't even cross my mind that that was something I could do, but I was inclined in that kind of way and was asking deep theological questions. Um, for me, ever since my undergrad, questions around white supremacy and Western Christianity were central um, that I just couldn't escape. And so ended up after that, doing a PhD in uh, contemporary theology and ethics and historical theology at Lutheran Theological Seminary, Philadelphia. Um, and it was two things. One was wrestling with questions around 
the entanglements of white supremacy and Western Christianity, but the other aspect was putting black theology and Anabaptism in conversation together. I had kind of um, strangely and quirkily been like kind of navigating those two spaces ever since I had left the Messiah's campus. And so um, wanted to put a, in some ways that if, if anybody knows me, they know there's this strange conversation, especially with the, I'd say the prophetic side of the black church, right? The justice oriented prophetic side of the black church in conversation with kind of the more radical, radical discipleship wing of the Anabaptist community. Um, those have been really fruitful dialogue partners and communities for me to kind of rethink and reimagine what it means to be a Christian in our present day. Um, and so, yeah, I, I currently am, you know, living in Harrisburg again, and I teach theology at Maasai University. I'm also the director for um, a new program that we've just launched called Thriving Together Congregations for Racial Justice. So we're working with local congregations and helping them learn and understand our region and our story and their own traditions and thinking about how race and racism has shaped both the church and our region in ways that need to be addressed and, and giving them space to reimagine their ministry and practices, convictions and stuff. And so we're excited about this journey that we're going to have them on um, in the coming years as well. But um, but yeah, I guess that's some of, of who I am. I also, I should mention, I also am a podcast host as well. I co-host the Inverse Podcast with Jared McKenna, who's actually from Australia. And so it's actually a global conversation that we have. And so we have uh, a community behind that doing book studies and stuff. And we have folks from not only the U.S. and Australia, but the U.K., Kenya, South Africa, all over the place. It's, it's a lot of fun to be a part of that. So anyway, those are some of the things that I'm involved in. I'm married. I've got three kids, three boys, ages 10, 8, and 4 at the moment. And they've got a lot of energy and keep me on my toes. Yeah. I could so relate to that. Um, I have grandkids in that age now. So uh, <laughs> I was glad I was a lot younger when I had children in that age. Than yeah, I yeah, yeah, yeah. Do now. We've, they do have a lot of energy. So um, I, I didn't know about the podcast. I guess I should <clears throat> lobby you to uh, be interviewed for How to Heal Our Divide. So uh, <laughs> we can talk about that later. But um, <laughs> in any event, um, <clears throat> since you're, you know, kind of academia, I mean, have you um struggled with where to whether to publish academic books versus trade books um and and you know do you see the books that you've written kind of as bridging that gap or in one camp or the other yeah yeah i've you know so i i came about getting to um you know teaching and researching from a different angle than i think most people often do like i've always had a very strong you know, heart for the church, for ministry, for the life of the church, for the future of the church, um, and kind of still carry with me kind of that kind of pastoral kind of orientation. Um, and so, yeah, I think that that animates a lot of the kind of work that I do. So anybody, uh, I'll tell a story and this will give you a good image of how I kind of approach my work. Um, when I was a PhD student, I often say I was a misbehaving PhD student because after I finished my coursework and my um, comprehensive exams, um, Ferguson was happening, right? The uprisings were taking place. And in fact, it was uh, Amy Ginrich and I had a conversation and I basically agreed to write a book 
before writing my dissertation, <laughs> a trade book. Right? Wow. Before okay. writing my, I was going to ask you how that book came about. I guess that's yeah, it. Huh? That's it. I didn't tell my advisor. I didn't tell my committee. I didn't tell <laughs> anybody. I just did it. Right. Wow. Good um, for you. And I put the dissertation on hold until I finished that book, or at least I finished the at least the beginnings, the you know the first draft of it. Then I was kind of doing both after that. But um, and then afterwards, then I told everyone right that I had this book on the way. <laughs> um, but I felt called and I felt passionate about speaking into this. You know, I had spent by that point, you know, it's 2014. I had spent almost a decade already engaging congregations around race in the church. Um, and I was really struggling with the lack of meaningful conversations happening around church, right? People not able to, especially at that time, people were still not talking about white supremacy as frequently as they do now. Um, there was little awareness of the ways that the church had participated in and helped produce modern racism as we know it today in, in the United States. And so, um, and the way that Jesus invites us into a much more faithful way of living in response to our racialized society. And so anyway, I, I felt like I had a lot of stories and personal examples and ways of talking about these things, language, right, that um, I think could benefit the church. And so I'm, I'm grateful that I resisted, right? I always say I resist being formed into the kind of person academia wants me to be because <laughs> um, they have goals for what the proper scholar looks like. Right. And it's really quite powerful in terms of the draw of the way that they form people. And I just didn't buy into that as the ultimate goal while at the same time, deeply believing that scholarship is meaningful, that intellectual life conversations, transparency, right? Giving and receiving and sharing in that kind of generative way is really important, um, but but not in the way that it wanted me to do it. And I so I, I see myself certainly as a public theologian, but also a church theologian. And so a lot of my work, yeah, has been, um, at least public work, you know, has been much more trade book. I do present to academic scholars, uh, academic conferences and things like that. Um, and I am collaborating right now on a resource that's going to be a little bit more academic in terms of publishing. It's a collaborative work around reparations with some other scholars. Um, but in general, yeah, my, my orientation is towards a much more um, broader church audience as the kind of those who I choose to speak to in terms of my writing. Well, it's always kind of struck me that, you know, if you're going to spend all this time to write a book, you know, it's a lot more valuable for thousands of people to read it instead of a dozen people, you know what I mean? Right. Right. And, and, and I understand the need for intellectual rigor and, and, and thought and advancement, no question about that. But, you know, if it just kind of stays within its own cocoon, so to speak, I mean, it doesn't help people very much or it doesn't advance the th thinking of the rest of society, which I think is what books, you know, predominantly benefit us with. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think that if, if one is going to write a scholarly book, then they should at least go back to the drawing board and write another more accessible version of it. Right. That would be my inclination. Yeah. If I wrote something that only scholars were going to read because I wanted to change the conversation in academics, which is, does happen. Like that's a legitimate thing. Right. Uh, and, and to be straight, like I think about scholars like Willie James Jennings, right. Brilliant. The Christian imagination, brilliant game changing for me personally. And for so many other folks, 
And yet I can't hand that to my students to read. Right. Mm. Um, and so now he has done some other stuff that some of that stuff is being filtered out in other ways, um, his acts commentary and stuff like that. And so I appreciate that. But I think that, that, you know, in some way or form, we want to make sure that our um, work is accessible and meaningful to broader audiences. I think, I think it's really important. So, yeah. And, and since that first book was published a few years ago, I mean, do you feel like you were kind of on the leading edge of the voices that are talking about these issues? Yeah. <laughs> Thank Jared, my, my co he says, he, he jokes sometimes, he says that, that we peaked too early, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but, um, but, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I was writing Trouble I've Seen, people were not, I mean, even folks who were talking about race primarily had white privilege as the dominant frame from which they were talking about and making sense of the world. And for me, and it's interesting that like, again, came out January, 2016. That means I was writing it at least a year. Right. And so like white supremacy is the overarching framework that I'm, I'm operating out of, which just was not how most Christians were talking about it. Most were making racial reconciliation or white privilege or things like that, the dominant frame. And that's not, I, I saw the limits already because I had been engaging on the ground with a whole variety of churches, um, the limits of those being the dominant frameworks that we operate out of. And so, yeah, I think it has been helpful. It's interesting now as all the arguments around critical race theory and misconceptions around what it is. But in some ways, what I was doing was drawing on anti-racist and critical race theory and putting that in conversation with theological ethics, right, um, with a really Jesus-shaped focus in terms of what this means for us on the ground in our everyday lives. And so, um, and I use personal stories. I mean, that's, again, like, uh, on one hand, like I was drawing, I mean, there's some stuff that you won't find, like I argue for something called, um, well, how did I frame it now? The counterintuitive solidarity with the oppressed. And it's kind of this, this epistemological argument, right? That you might expect something like that to be argued in a academic press, right? And I'm making it my argument in a trade book for one of the chapters, um, and so to to do that and to make it accessible, um, I think was really helpful. And, and I got such, I continue to get a lot of uh, great feedback um, though. Yeah, it's, there's definitely a shift in terms of how conversations have begun to arise. Now you're seeing a lot more books that are engaging on some of those deeper levels around race and racism in our present moments in terms of Christian writers. And so the second book you came out with that I mentioned, Who Will Be a Witness, um, how does that differ from the first book? Yeah, in many ways, Who Will Be a Witness, in many ways you could see it as kind of building on where the first book left off, kind of. It's a little bit of departure. It's a little bit overlap and a little bit of building on. I was speaking all over the country um, to congregations, seminaries, conferences, and one of the things that I kept hearing with Trouble I've Seen was, all right, so you, you convinced us, right? We can see in ways that we hadn't seen before. We see some of these problems. And it sounds like at the very end, like you're really inviting us to struggle for justice as a part of the work that we have to do. And they're like, what exactly do you mean by that, right? <laughs> what does that look like, you know, um, to do this? Are you just wanting us to vote differently? You know, like what, what, what exactly are we talking about here? And so hearing that more than once, I was like, all right, it sounds like, like there's some work to be done here with congregations. And so really, like my even thinking or writing this book came out of a direct response of, 
hearing folks kind of wrestling with like, what does this mean for the church to actually pursue justice? Um, and so, yeah, um, it, it builds on, so it's, on one hand, there definitely is some deepening of conversations around white supremacy that are not in trouble I've seen. But on the other hand, it's so much more than that, right? Um, in terms of uh, emphasis on radical discipleship, on just uh, getting a sense of church history and the entanglements with white supremacy and religious nationalism and all these things, on um, wrestling with economic um, exploitation and uh, disparities that exist in our society, on going deeper in terms of the practices and the life of the church and the worshiping community. But then really, um, finally, it's towards the end of the book that I really go deeper in towards um, what I initially was thinking about when I was writing the book, which was uh, social change, right, at the grassroots level, um, how to pursue that and to give some frameworks around organizing and movements and nonviolence and all that kind of stuff and think about it from a theological standpoint as well as a practical standpoint. Cool, cool. Um, and you mentioned that you're working on another book with, I guess, a couple of other folks around reparations. Um, just a couple of weeks ago, I did an interview with Duke Kwan about a mm -hmm. book called Reparations that just recently yep. came out from Brazos President. I thought was really good. Right. So what what area of that or what what focus do you guys have in the book that you're developing? Yeah, so we're in very early stages of working on this text. Um, one of the things that we wanted to do in this particular text, so this goes back to our first conversation, which is that sometimes there is a need to engage academics is to um, start a conversation that invites uh, theologians, biblical scholars, practitioners to take a stand on this issue. And so we want to have actually a multi-voiced resource that is going to allow scholars, some well-known and some emerging, um, to do their best work on this subject and to think clearly and thoughtfully about it, biblical studies, theology, practice, history, all kinds of stuff, right? Um, and so, and probably, I mean, uh, Duke, I haven't actually read his book yet. That's on my to-do list to do is to read his book. But, but he does come from a little bit more theologically conservative space. And so I think something a little broader that will speak to, there's folks that are not going to be reading his book. Um, and so how do we engage this subject in ways? And are there particular ways that maybe, I don't know, I imagine, again, I have to read his books, I'll be honest, but but will we be willing to go certain places because of our theological commitment? Sometimes they restrict um, where and how we will go with particular direction. So anyway, it's a multi-voiced resource um, that's going to invite the theological disciplines to do their best work around reparations. Um, and so we're really excited about this project and it being collaborative and and um, hopefully stirring and sparking a new conversation in the Theological Academy, as well as then for also, like we want it to be a range of speaking to the, you know, academics, but also to like pastors that read, you know, <laughs> that engage and, and have in and, and graduate studies and things like that. So there's going to be some range for it, not just for academics, um, but we do want to start a whole novel conversation. And, and we do believe that there's going to be a need for, many books on reparations, <laughs> um, that this is going to be conversations that are going to have to happen wide and broad and specific to different traditions. And um, so uh, we're expecting that this hopefully can participate in a new resurgency of conversations in the church and in the academy around reparations from a theological perspective. 
Well, good. We'll look, we'll look forward to that. You know, I think you're right. I mean, this is an issue that's not going to go away anytime soon. So, uh, you know, there's going to need to be a lot of voices, a lot of work done to, you know, actually make things happen. So um, in terms of any other future writing, is there anything you can talk about or is it too premature to do that? It's probably too premature. I always have like five different books on my mind, right? Um, and half of them will never probably become books. Um, um, I've kind of postponed any personal projects right now until I kind of see how much time as since I've never co-edited uh, bigger projects like this before. So kind of getting a sense of where that's going to take me and how much time. I'm already overcommitted in other ways in terms of I'm very involved in my community in terms of leadership and in terms of justice stuff with the church here in my city with this thriving together stuff. Obviously I'm teaching, I'm doing this podcasting community. They actually call me pastor in, in the podcasting community because people, for them, for some folks, it's like church to them. And so that's deeply involved. And so I've got my hand in a lot too many things. So right now I'm pausing any of the ideas that I'm like, oh, I need to write on this or that. And usually my, my, um, my approach has usually been to not just write any cool idea, but to write the stuff that I feel like has to be written. That's like deep down in me, like this book has to be written. And that's kind of what draws me to write um, and to put the time and effort in. Cool. Cool. Well, not to mention three little kids that you've got too. Right? Yeah. And not to mention my three little kids. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, Drew, it was really great to uh, learn about your work and uh, thanks for sharing that with us. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs>